Hello listeners, it's Alex here. Well, this week's been quite a week. Uh, Since last week, the death of the Queen has made headline news around the world. So of course, we do start the podcast off talking about that. Now, I know that not everybody is interested in talking about that. So if that's you, then skip forward about 15 or 16 minutes to get to the main bit of the podcast. Welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're qualified London Blue Badge tourist guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our website skydemily.com and alexlacey.com as well as our dedicated website ladieswholondon.com for more information about us and the podcast. Hello Em. Hello, Alex. Well, there's one fewer lady who Londons this week, isn't there? Goodness me. Oh my gosh. I mean, what has happened since we last podded together? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Big week this week. Uh, For anybody who doesn't listen to this when it goes out, who listen later, this this is the week that we lost the Queen. Um, And I, yeah. um, what do you say? What do we say? I don't... I mean, what do we say? It's it's a weird one, isn't it? I was talking to my mum about it, mm-hmm. and who is a huge diehard Queen fan. Okay. Um, the person or the and... band? <laughs> uh, the person. Um, <laughs> she does love a bit of Freddie Mercury as well. But um, And we were having, you know, quite a, a big talk about it, and I didn't really know... I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. I mean, she was she was absolutely devastated. And I think that as guides, we talk about... So many people ask about the next monarch and what's going to happen. So in, in your mind, you're constantly on the edge of that change or we've spoke about that change for so long. That... But kind of in the abstract, hasn't it been? It, it's a sort of... Yeah. You know... Yeah, yeah. It's almost quite unbelievable, really. um but yeah how where's your mind at well I'm sort of similar really I it's yeah I mean it's I don't think it's the right thing to call it a tragedy because you know she's a night she was a 96 year old lady who had had a lovely life and had worked very very hard and she means an awful lot to an awful lot of people and any any death is sad you know on a human level any death is sad it's mm. i think for me it's it's just such a big change and like like you said we we talk about this with our guests or have done for for well increasingly more frequently in the recent years of in this abstract of when the queen does die and and charles becoming king and i never in a million years thought it was close and I, for me it was it was way down the line and I'd always like jokingly say oh if we squeeze really hard we'll get another 20 years out of her and of course that's not true but it never felt like an imminent possibility mm-hmm. and so in a way we as guys we're probably some of the only people apart from of course the the big old sausage making machine behind the royal family um to have kind of contemplated that eventuality in any way i i, I, I mean yeah. i was speaking to fiona who's been on the podcast about this um a few weeks back i think and we were um sort of saying oh you know yeah do people ask about that yeah yeah more and more people ask and and yeah you know you sort of say oh she's 96 and all this sort of stuff and i just it's going to be really weird i mean little things like we guide a lot at the tower of london and one of our colleagues i haven't been there since since the queen died but one of our colleagues put up a post on our group in uh, group Facebook page about over the crown jewel house, the the cipher E2R for Elizabeth Regina, you know, with the two in the middle, has already been taken down and is being swapped over for C3R. And and that was everyone was like, oh, that feels quite soon, quite quick. Um, there's going to be so much that changes, and uh, yeah, it's. I think it just feels really weird. It does. And there is 
I don't know how I can say, like, there is a, like a theatrical element to it where Mm. everything, and obviously they would have had to have trained and everybody knows what they need to do in terms of the proclamation, where people need to be, where people need to stand, what they need to wear. But everything has seemed so seamless and slick that it is kind of like this theatre show that we were kind of waiting for. Mm. And... I don't know, I almost kind of want there to be some, I don't know, a a bit of weirdness to make it seem a little bit more real because everything just seems a very, I mean, obviously it's going to be because it's a monarchy, but it's so polished Mm. that, I don't know, it just seems quite untouchable, really. Yeah. And it's funny because, of course, there's been outpourings of, well, all sorts, actually, not just grief, but there's been outpourings. Of, and, and I always said this to people, and I suspect you did too, of when people said, oh, what do people think about the Queen? And I would always be pretty diplomatic. And I would say, well, of course, there's people who absolutely adore her and the monarchy and everything it stands for. And there's people who absolutely hate everything the monarchy stands for. And there's, I'd say, the, the majority who are kind of in the middle, who are sort of going, yeah, cool, whatever. I haven't really thought about it in too much depth. And, and that, but I feel like, at the moment, the the Queen dying is more than a monarchy thing. It's because I've I've got a couple of friends who are very much staunch Republicans, but who have been a friend of mine. She said oh, I was quite sideswiped by the whole thing, and I'm I've been un uncharacteristically. She said rather you know she didn't never expected to feel emotional about it and she is and that's really interesting because for people there are some people who really aren't pro-monarchy who are still have been hit by the loss of the queen and i think it's something to do with not necessarily what you think about the institution of of monarchy and and the or even the queen as a person but that idea of stability of something that every everything in your life can change you know you can lose your family members you can i don't know get married get divorced have kids lose a job whatever there's always been that one thing that has been there Mm. and when that one thing goes i feel i think that a lot of people will feel the rug's been pulled out from under them which is what i've been saying to my guests for years is that i think a lot of people will kind of be like whoa hang on that was a, a a very big kind of just pillar of society that was there and so i don't know it's it's very odd Mm. Yeah, and I got already, you know, I've been doing a couple of tours over the weekend and trying to get the the change in my mouth, you know, to say <laughs> King Charles III. And it's, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think so it's you've, you've been down to the much. palace, have you? You've been in the area. Yeah, so I've done a couple of tours around Westminster and around the palace. And, you know, they've been closing stations. It, it's just been absolutely manic and beautiful to see so many people go there and really really sweet to see families with young children young children that probably aren't yet old enough to really know what's happening but you can imagine 20 years down the line when it's spoke about or you know in a few years when they're learning history in school they'll be able Mm. to say that I was down there and you can see that there is this sense of pride of everybody that's holding flowers like I'm I'm doing this not uh, for any other reason that I've been compelled to leave my house and lay flowers for the Queen. Um, but wow, I think in the next couple of days, even more so, it's going to be it's going to be busy, isn't it? It is going to be busy. And I, I haven't been down that area. Well, I, I was close to the area on the weekend. I was with my nephilings who are um, quite small. They're three and five, uh, three and four, actually. And so we weren't we weren't going to go down there and kind of fight the crowds because it was Sunday and it was very, very busy. So I actually haven't been to the palace yet. And I... Are you going to go to the lying in state? Um, I might do. I've got a few jobs that actually are taking me away out of London. So okay. it all depends in terms of time of me coming back. But oh, I really, really want to make sure that I'm there for the funeral. But I just don't know if I'm going to make it. Mm. Are you going to go down? I think I'm going to try and go to the lying in state. I, I mean, they're talking at the minute about queues of 24 hours and if that's the case I'm I, no I'm, I'm out I'm, I'm I'll do a few hours but I'm not I'm not you know I, do, I don't really kind of how to, how to express what I'm thinking about the whole thing it's inc- it's incredibly historic I I think I will try and battle my way down to Buckingham Palace at some point mm. um I just yeah 
I would I would really love to, but I'm also not the kind of person. I'm no I'm not sort of I'm not I mean I'm not a huge I'm one of the people in the middle who's like, yeah, cool, you know, a lot of my job revolves around the royal family, but I'm never yeah. gonna be somebody who's dressed up in <laughs> union flags, a suit made of union flags and, and you know, waiting for no, you know, Prince not. William to fart somewhere. Do you know what I mean? It's not that's not that's not my uh, my bag. <laughs> Um, <laughs> some people do though don't they, <laughs> they um, do. but I think yeah I, th- I think I'm, I'm probably going to see more on the telly of the funeral which might be more interesting than um, standing on the street to just get a glimpse but yeah it's funny because I, I, I didn't know if I should post anything on social media about it because I've been trying to get back into so as you know I've sort of had a bit of a fell out of love with it a little bit lately because I haven't been doing much and but I was trying to do a little bit more and, and, and then I sort of thought well I, I did one post on the day that she died but I also thought I don't know that anybody really needs to hear my thoughts on it um every news channel around the world is covering it right now um and there's a lot of people who really don't care and fair enough you know each to his own I you know never gonna um fault anybody for being like yeah it's not not my bag at all Um, but I just sort of thought I don't I don't feel like I can post other stuff at the minute because Mm. Yeah, I just don't feel like that's quite right. But also at the same point, at the same time, I was, I don't really want to start sort of doing all the gushing tributes, and not for any bad reasons. Not like I hated the Queen or anything. I didn't. I thought she was amazing, and a lot of respect for her and admiration. But I just, it, it's funny, isn't it? How I just don't think my voice needs to be heard on that at the moment. Yeah, and we were, you know, we've been talking about this before, and on the day the day after that she died i yeah i was like i'm just gonna do a little kind of social media post and talk about how i feel about it and and i posted it and when i did i just thought oh that's not me and you know when you do something and you think <laughs> oh i don't that that i i you know especially with social media sometimes it can push you to to do things that you're you know maybe your your core yeah actually do <laughs> so, um, so i kind of was it's just the keeping like, up with the joneses isn't it it's the worst you, on instagram you, know, you, you see so many other people and you think oh well, I, I should be kind of you know paying a, a um a bit of a spoken tribute as well and i just thought well actually there's so much out there <laughs> as you say you don't need me you don't need no. my voice <laughs> yeah it's yeah. just yeah i think it's gonna be very weird i mean what it's quite the anticipation of what's to come is quite exciting. We're going to have a coronation. And I have to say, even, I mean, I make myself, like a real, myself sound like a real anti-monarchist here. And I'm not a real anti-monarchist. I'm also not a hugely, like, flag-waving monarchist either. But, oh my goodness, to see a coronation. This is the stuff that us as tour guides, we talk about this all the time we talk about the pomp and ceremony of royal families we go to westminster abbey where it takes place we go to the tower of london and see the crown jewels we talk about the liber regalis we talk about you know we go to the the, um royal muse and see the coronation coach i mean it's it's that is going to be so exciting it really is so exciting it wasn't that long ago since we put an episode out about all of the the coronations that went wrong you know (laughs) How so, not to coronate? Coronation. Yeah. How not to coronate? How not to crown? Yeah. I mean, goodness me, to be able to see a coronation in our lifetime is quite exciting. Yeah. Um, that is a really, really exciting thought. Yeah. Just in a, I always say to, to to guests, we don't do much well in in Britain, but we do do pomp and ceremony very well. Um, and it is it it's going to be something else. And there will be protests, and there will be because not everybody, you know, but there have always been protests. I think it's important to remember when um people talk about people protesting the royal family and how oh it's not really the dumb thing it's like yeah it is it absolutely is and people have always protested the monarchy every you know it, it we i think we look back on the past with this rosy gaze of oh when victoria came in 100 percent of the people were behind well no she had several assassination attempts on her life and you know there are always going to be people who will go go against it and that's totally fine because you are all everyone is is entitled to their opinion so let's not you know pretend that that's a new thing mm. um but it will be a really interesting and quite exciting time goodness me if we thought this year was busy <laughs> emily next year is going to be mental <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, gang, you're going to get six months of us being nice and relaxed through the winter, and then next year you're going to get episodes of us being very stressed and very oh, busy. God. The episodes are going to be like ten minutes long because that's all we can muster. Yeah. <laughs> um, but wow, goodness me, what a week! What a week! So, um, as we talk, it is uh, Tuesday night. The Queen has literally just, as we started recording the podcast, arrived into Buckingham Palace. Um, bef- the night before she goes to. Um, her laying in state at Westminster Hall so that's where we are in the process where she'll be for four nights or four four, well days and nights and it'll be open 24 hours for people to go and pay their respects and then the funeral takes place on the 19th of February so um, next Tuesday next uh, next week's podcast um, it'll all be done and dusted yeah and we can kind of have a little bit of a reflect on that but who'd have thought this time last week that we would have been you know, we, I think we, we, yeah. we mentioned briefly that we had a new prime minister and then two days later, the, you know, the landscape changed quite, quite significantly. So it really did. No. But anyway, this anyway. is Ladies Who London. <laughs> so on this with the pod. Not, this is not uh, <laughs> Royal Watch hour. 2022. No, so 24-7. Exactly. So uh, we're going to, we're going to plan with the podcast. And what I think I'll do is I'll, I'll put a little, I might just record something at the start to say, if you're really not interested in any kind of royal chats, fast, fast forward, forward to this point. Yeah, that's fine. Because <laughs> uh, we're still doing the pod, so that's okay. Um, but anyway, how have you been this week? Apart from, I mean, I don't know if you've done much other than the work and be kind of completely taken over by events. Yeah, that's it really. My head's been pretty busy. Um, I've got a few jobs coming up that requires quite a lot of research. And um, yeah, I've just kind of, yeah, it's been quite work heavy. Yeah. And... I thought we got yeah. to have some time off in the in the autumn and the winter. I know, no, it's been quite full <laughs> on this week. It's been a good week, um, and I have my mother-in-law here at the moment, oh, which lovely. is nice. Um, yeah, but good. Have you had a nice week? Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a stressful week because it's been very busy, and I'm I'm still packing to move. I I was supposed to have moved by today, but it hasn't quite happened, so I'm moving on Thursday. So it's all a bit boxy. Um, well, not nearly as boxy as it should be by this point. <laughs> I was going to say, you've still got quite a lot of stuff out there. Yes, I've got an awful lot of stuff, so I'm, um, I'm, I think I'm going to pull an all-nighter tonight. <laughs> Just... Yeah, everything's out on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that, Emily. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but ne- next week I will be uh, ensconced in West London. Mm. Um, and hopefully a little less stress, because this week has been a lot. Uh, but anyway, on with the podcast. So we have to uh, wrap up last week's. Yes. Podcast pedestal. Um, so what do we talk about? Uh, well, you. Oh, <laughs> talk- I. So, oh, Frank. <laughs> Frank Bostock and the Albany Park Bostock. Cemetery. Yes. Do you remember what you went for for the podcast? I do. I remember that uh, I, the thing I thought was really quite entertaining was the fact that uh, he ended up being killed by his charges, by, you know, the, the animals that he had in his... Uh, traveling circus zoo whatever menagerie whatever we're calling it um yeah i found that slightly entertaining probably more entertaining than i should have <laughs> no i thought it was quite a good one actually because you know and what uh, about you what did you go for uh, i went for console who was the chimpanzee who would wear clothes and stay in you know five star suites and drink champagne and travel uh, first class on the train that was my favorite first, thing travel first class um yeah i went for him because i just thought that he just seemed like such a a wonderful person to know <laughs> <laughs> i mean no yeah he would he would have been definitely a Talking point at a party, wouldn't he? Mm, mm. Well, how do you think it's gone? So I've been really good. Good. <laughs> She's learning, gang. She's learning. At all. Like, at all. I put it up a couple of days ago as well, because usually I just put it up, you know, like 24 hours before. But I think I put this one up on Sunday or Monday. So I've been very good. I haven't checked. But I think it's gone my way. We always say chimp way. I think it's gone chip, chimp way. Well, it's 35 to 65%. Ooh. And it's gone... Can I, can I just say, have you counted the ones on the actual post as well? Oh, can no, I haven't. Let me... Uh, well, let me... excuse me. <laughs> can we just have a look at those for a second? I will have a look. And whilst you're having a little look, can I just read out a message yeah. from 
Liz, who was the person, her alias is Lizard on Instagram. And um, she came uh, with us on our Christmas voyage. In the oh, ta- yes. So she said, enjoyed the pod today. I had a personal connection. One of my ancestors used to perform for the Woomwell Circus. No. Actually, someone who used to get in the pub, um, to get in the pub I worked in about 15 years ago was a Woomwell. And we realised our ancestors had crossed paths. Get away. Yeah, so I said, who was this person? And uh, she said she was Ellen Chapman, um, performed in front of the Queen, uh, uh, performed in front of Queen Victoria and put her head in a lion's mouth. (gasps) Are you serious? Serious. In brackets, we aren't still mean to lions now, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. How exciting. Yeah. That's so fantastic. Oh, she said, P.S., my mate pronounces... Womb well, one well, not womb well. <laughs> so it's actually one well. So it's closer to Womble. <laughs> yeah, it's closer to Womble. Yeah. Well, listen, I've gone and had a little look at the uh, the ones on the post as well, and it it actually just strengthens the uh, the way that it's gone on the on the polls. It's probably actually more like seventy thirty. Oh, and it's gone for death by occupation. Oh no, it's gone my way. So did you get ones on the post? I, yes. And you, you got two, but I got three on the post. So it's probably, it's gone a bit, well, maybe 70, 30 is a bit, a bit much. But anyway, so yeah, it's gone my way. Hurrah, hurrah. Yeah, well done. So that means that it's 1715. Am I in, in the lead for the first time ever? You're in the lead. Yeah. You were in the lead last week. Oh, wow. You kept that quiet. No, no, no. No, don't you remember? Because you were like, oh my God, this is the first time for ages. <laughs> I don't remember. You don't remember your victory. <laughs> Jesus girl. I'm a bear of very little brain. <laughs> well, seventeen fifteen to you. Well done. Thanks so much. Yay. Yes. I'm starting to finally make some good choices. You have. Well done. Well done. Brilliant. So well, yeah, yeah, this week hmm. where are we off to? Oh, it's me, isn't it? Well, it's you, my darling. Have you got have you got a story to tell? <laughs> yeah, we went um we it landed in Kensington, didn't it? Oh it did. I can't even remember what you said going to talk about oh well um i decided that i was going to go for um a character that i've kind of wanted to know a little bit more about for a while so this is a perfect opportunity um you and i both guide in kensington palace which is the lovely home of well a whole variety of royals although not kate and william anymore they moved out a week or so ago didn't they in fact yeah about a week ago now um but if you go into Kensington Palace, now this is it's particularly famous for being the home of the Georgians. So George the First and George the Second, and apparently during George the Second's reign, it was the palace was known as the best nightclub in London. Mm. Um, but George the Second was a bit of a he was a bit of a party boy, and they did say that it was uh, even there was someone who once said even a common prostitute could get into the court if she was wearing a dress that was cut correctly. So as long as you looked the part, basically, you got in. Um, And as you go up into the king's apartments, you come across this really amazing staircase, which is it's beautiful. It's painted. Um, As you go up the stairs, you can kind of imagine trumpeters, you know, trumpeting i guess i was gonna say making noise but tr- <laughs> trumpeting trumpeting over your heads as you're going up and the, the king's trying to impress you with this really amazing staircase so as you go up in your huge big court mansion with dresses which are those ones with the the hips that stick out really far you're going up there and as you do you're being looked down upon by loads of painted faces both on the walls and on the ceiling who are the people um the courtiers uh, who were present at the court of George the First, and they're looking down at you, um, judging you maybe, checking that you're wearing the right thing, and the people on there are real people. It wasn't just a whole case of oh, put some random faces up there. They were real people, and in there is the portrait of one very interesting young guy, who is a child, and he has this huge, big kind of mop of brown hair, curly brown hair. He has quite sort of heavy lidded eyes and a really pronounced sort of um very kind of pouty mouth and this is peter the wild boy and mm. this is who we're talking about this week so right peter the wild boy now this image of him is surrounded by pictures of women in 
um, these dresses with you know sort of the the, the the fashion at the time which was to kind of suck everything in and then push your boobs really high up so you can almost choke on them um, and men in their fabulous kind of wigs and and women with the fans and all of this and in amongst it is rather incongruously this boy who looks a bit bored by everything um, and is sort of sitting there and kind of just looking out well not really looking out at you but kind of looking across at some of the other people almost with a kind of confused look on his face and this is really really accurate because Peter the wild boy very much didn't fit in to the Georgian mould. Um, so we're talking about the early 1700s, 1720s to be precise. Uh, George the first is around from 1714 to 1727 or 8 I think and in 1725, actually before I go to that, um, George is the first Hanoverian king. So in order to get the king across, um, oh, we're doing some actual monarchy history this week. Um, in order to get the king, uh, we'd the previous monarch was uh, Queen Anne, who had died, and she had died without any heirs. Um, and they went down the little list of everybody who was in line to the throne. And what they decided, that everyone on that list was essentially either too old, too mad, or too Catholic. And so... When they got to the end of that list, they thought, right, stuff it. We're going to have to go up, go back up the line, go across and find the first appropriate person to come and be the king. And so they did this and, and off they went. And they reports vary, but somewhere between 49 to 52 people is what they skipped. And they got to this German king, George, uh, George of Hanover. And they went, up you come, Georgie boy, you are in. So George is from Hanover and he, he's, he's German. He speaks German, doesn't really speak much English, actually. And in 1725, in Germany, um, a forest called Herzvold Forest, which is very near Hanover, the seat of uh, George, um, this young boy was found living wild in the forest. He was, we, they don't know how old, we never really knew exactly how old he was. We think he was about maybe 11 years old, but he, potentially anywhere between sort of 10 and 14. Mm. He was living alone and naked in this forest. Mm, he fun. was filthy he was sunburned he had matted thick straggly kind of hair long fingernails he couldn't talk either and he walked on all fours in fact from all accounts he not just walked on all fours was preferred to walk on all fours and was completely competent he could kind of scamper really fast like an animal he could cr climb trees really easily um oh. yeah so he it really is we're talking about you know he was known as a feral child and in in feral in the in the actual sense of the word not those kind of hideous toddlers that you see on a saturday screaming around someone that were that look you know we just got oh, they're feral this was an actual <laughs> feral child um yeah he 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 only really communicated in a series of kind of grunts and squeaks and apparently his eyes would sort of be flitting around rapidly looking at everything and we don't know how we got there um we what we can assume is that his parents couldn't cope um and abandoned him maybe he was the product of I don't know, a, a, an illegitimate liaison. There was a, um, a prison nearby. It could have been that he was, I don't know, born to somebody in the prison and then thrown out. We just don't know. Um, and thrown into the forest, left to die. But he didn't die. He survived. And one thing we do know is that when he was found, he was naked, but there was the scraps of a shirt collar round his neck when he was found. So we have no idea how long he'd been out there whether it was days weeks months or even years and um when he was found this caused really a huge stir i mean you can imagine this can't you just be absolutely like especially the idea that he is walking on all fours and the only bit of clothing that he has is what's left over from a shirt that's around mm. his neck so many questions yeah so many and and no we're not going to find any answers today on that at all there are no answers because we we never know we never know what happens to what what happened to him yeah. so he was when he was found he was thrown into the local prison or the, rather the house of correction um and word spread about him you know he nobody came to claim him he was a boy who you know he ate with his hands he slept on the floor he couldn't talk he he walked on all fours and of course this was you know this this was a huge deal and this got into the papers and you know there were there were rumors going around that he'd been raised by wolves or bears i should say there were no wolves or bears living in the area in this time so that's complete rubbish but anyway um and so we, we just don't know 
Um, and it at the time, people just sort of thought he was a wild child and that he, you know, just hadn't mm. wouldn't take training or whatever, you know. So there were loads of questions and there were no answers. So this starts to become a thing and they're obviously looking for whoever might want to come and, and claim him and it's it's a real kind of sensation. And the king hears of this. Now, the king at the time, when all this happens, is actually over in Germany. He spends a lot more of his reign in England in Germany than he does over um, in England. And he his court is in Hanover, so very close to where this boy has been found, a place called Herrenhausen. And he hears about him and he goes, oh, he's quite intrigued. And so he says, right, bring him to me. And he, he pulls him out of the house of correction and he, he brings him into the court and it's it's a real source of curiosity for the king i mean we've talked before about freak shows and about how um georgians and victorians just mm. they didn't understand difference and as a result it but it, it was they were treated as sideshows curiosities all that kind of thing and mm. the king was so intrigued by him that when he next came back to st james's palace in london he brought him with him so this poor kid you know doesn't really know what's going on Clearly, there's something happening there, right? We're, we're going to delve into a little bit later what, what that might be. But um, this poor kid's has sort of been uprooted from a place that he was, I mean, living, so we can assume. And he might have been, he might have been happy. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. But to suddenly be taken by the king, I mean, God, yeah. what a turnover. And there, there is a little bit of evidence later that he maybe was happy there. We'll, we'll come to that Um a little bit a bit later in the story so yeah exactly no way of of really asking him because he can't communicate um he doesn't seem to mm. he, not, not only does he not talk he doesn't seem to understand people i mean admittedly when he came to england different language but initially they're speaking to him in german which is obviously the country he's been found in and he doesn't seem to understand people either so it's not even that he can't speak but does understand and communicates in other ways he just he, he doesn't he, he can't connect that way she's so sad yeah now when he's brought to london um he's sort of kept a bit like a pet to be honest um it's not no doesn't show the court in the best light this story um he's christened as peter in 1726 obviously we never know what his given name was um because he's not able to communicate that so he's christened as peter um and then known throughout court as peter the wild boy and he causes a complete sensation you know, this is when the court would have all these people, like I mentioned, as, as curios. And, and this is, he's one of the biggest for a time. Um, they make a waxwork figure of him, uh, which they exhibit for the public. Yeah, yeah. Whilst he's still alive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, of course, he's at court and he's, so, I mean, I suppose in a way, you know, he, he is kept as a pet that it's not the nicest thing to happen to anybody but the saving grace is that he doesn't end up in a freak show he's not in the kind of place that we've heard about before where you know when we talked about bedlam we talked about it being a bit like a freak show and that people would go and visit and would throw things and goad the prisoners or the inmates to to get a reaction out of them and that's the same that would happen at freak shows so in a way and we talked about the elephant man as well um in a way, he's got a better existence here. He's not having to kind of work for his for his um, food and board. Um, he's not being badly treated in the way that, you know, sort of being shackled to something and having the public just treat him really badly. So mm -hmm. he he's in the court. He's being treated well to their for their for that time nicely. Not it's not quite what he needs, but it, it's it's much better than the alternative, really. So when he comes to to London, yeah, so th this, this waxwork figure is made and they, they show him to the public because otherwise they haven't got a way of seeing him because he's in the court. He's also the subject of newspaper articles and poems and ballads and things like that. And, and often satire, there's quite a few satirical uh, newspaper articles and, and bits and pieces that come out that often poke fun at how extravagant the court is. And actually, one person who does write a uh, kind of pamphlet about him is called uh, it's Jonathan Swift, who wrote Gulliver's Travels, a British-Irish oh, playwright, okay. um, rather famous yeah. one. And the pamphlet was was very, very mocking. It was really satirical and it was called The Most Wonderful Wonder That Ever Appeared to the Wonder of the British Nation. So he was really just, right. you know, taking the mick, basically. <laughs> 
And all of this is happening mm. in the time of enlightenment. It's the 17th and 18th centuries. It's known as the, the age of reason. It's where um, a kind of a period where people are starting to look at the world differently. They're starting to learn. They're, they're in favour of exploration and discovery and scientific endeavour and to certain degrees tolerance um, and, and which does engender more understanding, not full understanding of other people, obviously. Um, they have a long way to go before that happens. Uh, but some understanding and they, they start to kind of realise, oh, we, you know, culture and art and everything didn't start with us, the Brits. Shocker. Um, and so into all of this, we have this young boy who who raises loads and loads of questions about what it is to be human. There's a lot of philosophical debate going on and how we are divided from the animals and all this kind of now um, darwin is going to come later so we haven't even got to that stage of understanding how we're related to to animals um but there's talk about what differs us from animals and and this this kind of debate came up of well if he can't speak um how is he human if he if he can't speak then does he have a soul and if, if he doesn't have a soul does that make him human and all these kind of really philosophical questions that are quite quite intriguing so he puts a bit of a cat among the pigeons without totally meaning to at all so what is he like in himself well he's he they, so when they find him he walks on all fours and this is what he prefers he really does and he can't just cannot be persuaded to walk upright for a very very long time he even at court he would run around on all fours and he had absolutely no sense of court etiquette or anything like that which is rather delicious to think about actually he would sort of scamper yeah, for him up to, sort of to walk in yeah well he, i say walk in or just be on all fours yeah and he would just sort of scamper all over the place and just sit in front of the king and and like just not stand on ceremony or anything which of course to all the courtiers was so used to bowing and scraping and all of this kind of stuff it was was really you know quite a, quite sort of titillating and rather exciting that he he wasn't doing all of that um the king invited him several times to dinner uh, with him and was pretty horrified by his table manners this this poor kid you know he he would squat on the table and would eat with his hands and of course the king found this quite horrifying and eventually gave up um inviting him to dine with him what what started out as fun and entertaining turned you know not having this anymore yeah <laughs> the world boy is just way too wild for it's me <laughs> You know, just turned far too horrifying for the king pretty quickly. So that that went out the window fairly quickly. Um, there was a doctor on hand, a guy called Dr. Arbuthnot, who uh, tried to teach him to speak and failed. It For years they tried and they never got anywhere. He hated wearing clothes as well. He was much, much more comfortable to just run around naked. And of course, that was never going to fly at court. So every day these courtiers would kind of manhandle him really and shove him into this green velvet suit and, and the picture on the staircase is of him in this green velvet yeah. suit and uh and i think as well you can see if, unless i'm completely going mad i think you can see his feet as well through the the banisters that are painted on he wears these red stockings i think you can see that on there too mm. um and the first time he actually saw somebody taking off a man taking off his stockings he panicked absolutely panicked because he thought he was peeling off his skin so this poor oh. kid just had like just yeah just no absolutely awful yeah God. and he didn't want to wear clothes but he had to and, and they would sort of shove him into these things every day um oh. they wanted him to sleep in a bed um in night clothes he didn't want to do that he slept on the floor in a corner of his room um and didn't want to keep his, his bed you know um like bed clothes whatever you want to call it on um and then when he was at court, he would, so as well as sort of running around and everything, he would actually pickpocket the ladies, uh, which they found really entertaining. He would sort of go around and like steal stuff. Oh, <laughs> it'd be like, hey, Marie, just kind of like have this, like, you know, <laughs> partially out of your pocket and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They thought it was, they thought it was hilarious. And, and, you know, he even pickpocketed the queen and all this sort of stuff. And, and yeah but it was i love peter the wild boy he's kind of he's bless him he's he's amazing um the king tired of him pretty quickly and he then gave him to caroline who was his daughter-in-law caroline um who is married to his son and will later become queen now do you know much about caroline of ansbach no she is a fascinating woman 
really fascinating. She was interested in science and nature. I mean, massively, especially given in the 1700s, as we've spoken about lots, women just didn't get an education the same way that they do now. She was massively engaged in developments at the time, scientific, um, nature, all this sort of thing. And she was really good friends with Isaac Newton. And she Mm -hmm. hung out with him and all of his buddies. And she was a real brain box. Um, And in fact, one of the reasons that she... Well, when she died, I think we'd need to maybe do an episode on her. She's fascinating. Um, uh, she died because she didn't trust the quack doctors. And then eventually she got so ill that they made her and the quack doctor basically killed her. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And so she, wow. when the king gave Peter to her, she was really, really concerned with his well-being. So she oversaw his, well, what they tried to kind of educate him she oversaw him for many years and and when she became king queen she she kept peter at court with her um and so this is why he's painted into the staircase he was such a huge person at court and this staircase which was painted by uh, william kent which is beautiful really gorgeous mm. um is a tribute to the fact that he was important enough to be included in something like that and I don't know if you've ever noticed the man standing next to him in the painting. Have you ever seen him? I'm looking at it now. <laughs> Are you? Oh, okay. Um, well, the man next to him is his, the, a Scottish doctor called John Arbuthnot, who was the man who was sort of made to be his guardian. And he was the guy who tried to tre- teach him mm. to speak and to socialise. And he never had any luck with that at all. At all. Um, but they've included him in there. Alongside. And in the in the painting, it almost looks like he's kind of whispering behind the top of his um, yes. walking stick, as if yeah. he might be trying to say something into Peter's ear. Almost. It, so he, chances are he's saying, you know, stand there, look here, do this, whatever. And, and mm. gradually, well, we know that towards the end of his life, uh, Peter does understand people. He doesn't ever speak really. Well, he, he learns to say his name and one or two other words, but he never speaks but it, he does learn to understand people and there's a there's a, a little quote that i want to read you about his first appearance at court so it says the wild boy played with a go- a glove of caroline's grew fascinated by a pocket watch that struck the hours and as was usual with him attempted some mild pickpocketing furthermore <laughs> mild pickpocketing furthermore rumor spread that he had in breach of all civilized decorum seized the lord chamberlain's staff and put his hat on before the king so he's just going around and causing... He's just doing whatever he wants. Yeah. Like, he's not embarrassed at all, which is what I love. You know, there's so many airs and graces around the royal family where you have to be a certain way and do certain things. And he's just like, no, this is me. Like, I'm going to eat on the table with my yeah. hands and not wear any pants. Yeah. I love yeah. him. <laughs> so when you look at that picture of him, he it's quite an unusual picture, isn't it? He, he definitely looks... There's a few, you know, he... he he looks different to the other people around him, doesn't he? I think is the is the easiest way of saying it. He does, definitely. I, William Kent has painted him with bright red lipstick. So it's almost as if like they've given him a little bit of makeup, kind of powder, a little bit of rouge and lipstick. Um, and he just, he looks, as you said, just concerned and confused. And which, at the, in the back of his head. Yeah, which in fairness, he, he sort of would be a little bit. But his, his lips yeah. are really quite um, pronounced, aren't they? There's quite a big mm. sort of Cupid's bow at the top. You know, the the, the kind of classic bit of the lip that's always, you know... Um, that you but, kind of paint on to look a little bit more feminine. Yes. Not and you. Can, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can also see he's got slightly kind of hooded eyes as well. They're quite heavy. His brow's quite heavy. Um, and then he's got this mass of curly quite wild hair and if you think at the time yeah. people were wearing big wigs and all this sort of thing uh, it's it's quite um sort of unkempt as hair isn't it it's not it's not the sort of polished hair that we look we're used to seeing on the other georgians no and most people are wearing hats mm. and um you know their hair is kind of a little bit contained yeah but he is uh it's just it's out it's very um you kind of just want to put your hand in it and see what kind of texture we've got going on so one of the things we've always wondered about him is whether he had some condition of some description. And Lucy Worsley, famous Lucy Worsley, um, off the telly, um, did some research a few years ago. Now, she thought that he, from all the contemporary um, 
eyewitness accounts of him that he may have had autism. However, she looked at all the descriptions. She looked at the paintings of him uh, because there were paintings of him done as a child and later in life as well. And she looked at the different bits of, you know, of his behaviour, his character and what he looked like. And he, he was very short with this huge, thick, curly hair, these um, hooded eyelids and pronounced lips. And he's all, he was also said to have had a couple of fingers uh, fused together as well. Um, so she gave all of this information, plus the, you know, the nonverbal and, and um, inability to learn and all of this. She gave it to um, a chap, a professor at the Institute of, Ch- of Child's Health. And this guy plugged everything into a computer and looked at, you know, symptoms and he diagnosed him with a condition that we think he may have had a condition called Pitt Hopkins. Now, Pitt Hopkins is a genetic condition. It was only discovered in the 1970s, so centuries after Peter the Wild Boy is around. It has severe neurological effects and very severe learning difficulties as some of the symptoms with developmental difficulties and an inability to develop speech as well. So it is thought that this might well be the condition that he had. Which is quite a groundbreaking thing to find out, really. Um, especially, you know, to diagnose somebody that was living in the 18th century. I think that's amazing. You know, yeah. she must have done so much research. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, with the advent of, of science and, and medical advancements and things like that, these are things that, like, like I say, it was only found in the 70s. So it's a condition that's only recently been uh, understood. So to su- suddenly look back at things and go, oh, and it's quite interesting when people do that in history. They look at people and go, everything that they talked about, it looks like they might have had this, that and the other. It's, it's really fascinating. Mm. Now, eventually, as you might imagine, the novelty wore off of Peter the Wild Boy at court. Um, and he actually outlived his royal patrons. Caroline died in 1737. And at this point, the court paid for Peter to retire. So by this point, he would have been in 37 he'd have probably been um mid 20s 25 26 something like that and they decided that first the first king to have had him um in court had gone as had queen caroline who was his real kind of protector and so they sent him to a farm in the countryside now this is the kind of thing you hear about when people have got dogs and they die like they go oh sent them to the farm he's running free yeah in hertfordshire and this sounds really awful, but actually it was it was a lot, lot better for him. Um, he was originally entrusted to the care of a lady called Mrs. Titchborn, who was a close friend of the Queen's. And um, with taking on the care of Peter came a yearly uh, stipend of, of £35, which is a huge amount of money. Um, mm. Mrs. Titchborn spent quite a few weeks every year, every summer at the house, uh, or the farm rather, of a chap called Mr. James Fenn, who eventually took on the care of... Um, Peter at his farm in Hertfordshire. When James died, he moved to a nearby farm that was owned by James's brother Thomas. So he, you know, he kind of he was looked after by a group of people who, as they, you know, died or, or whatever, then he would be passed on to someone else. No one ever just left him. He was always looked after. And he had a much, much quieter life in Hertfordshire, which to be honest, it was probably for the better for him anyway. He had a lot more freedom. He could do what he liked. He seemed to be pretty happy there. Some visitors did still used to come and, and see him and come and kind of call on him and um, and see how he was getting on. People who had, you know, remembered him from the time when he was uh, the talk of the town would still come up. And like I say, he didn't end up in a freak show. And the farmers up there were really, really fond of him. The locals were fond of him generally. By the time he moves there, he can walk upright. He still doesn't talk. But like I say, throughout his life, he he does learn to understand people and um, kind of respond sometimes in his in his own way. And they described him as being exceedingly timid and gentle in his nature. Um, He apparently loved onions and he loved gin. Which is, you know, a very Georgian pastime. (laughs) And one thing that he would really like to do is he liked to watch um, the flames of a fire. He would get really intrigued and he would sit there for hours just watching the flames. And if it was a really clear night and the stars were out, he would love to just be out in in the farmland just watching the stars and looking up at the... Uh... He just wanted to go back to the woods. You he say that. He just wanted to go back. Yeah. He, in the autumn time, he apparently would, would head off into the woods and go and eat acorns that he found. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh. 
Absolutely. He, he still felt that draw. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be part of nature. He w- but oh, it, my his story goodness. doesn't quite stop here, actually. Um, so oh. 1751, which is about 25 years or so after he's gone to the farm. So he'd be in his 40s by now. Um, he went missing from the farm and he, he couldn't be found anywhere. And they were all really concerned about him. They put adverts in the newspapers and they offered they even offered a, a reward for his safe return. So, you know, this is he's not. He's not a captive. He's not a slave. He's not a no, pet. People he care is, about him. Yeah, they care about him. He is a valued member of their their community. Um, and they were really, really worried about him. And he didn't turn up for, for quite some time. Meanwhile, 100 miles away in Norwich, a couple of months after he disappeared, um, a homeless man, a really scruffy homeless man, was arrested in the city and locked up. Um, and then... A week or so later, there was a fire that broke out in in the town and it engulfed the local jail. So what the um, the jailers did is they basically just opened all the jail all the cells and let the inmates leave because they were really worried about what was going to happen. And there was only one guy who kind of stuck around and watched the flames, and it was it was Peter. Um, they realised that you know he everyone else sort of you know legged it, and Peter kind of stayed there and watched the flames. And eventually, when they were trying to kind of talk to him, and he they realised he couldn't talk and he was just, you know, he would grunt or squeak and, and they took him, I think, to the local workhouse where somebody went, hang about, hang about. I read a description of a guy in the paper who sounds a lot like this. So they oh. got in contact and turns out it was, it was Peter. So he was returned to Thomas Fenn's farm. Now, they don't know how he got 100 miles away, but he obviously just went wandering and just, you know, didn't necessarily feel he needed to stay anywhere or had to stay anywhere, just off he tootled, ended up, you know, living rough and then Gosh. turning up in Norwich. They Can you decide imagine, like you've spent so much a hundred days getting away from the farm to mm. find somebody that brings you back. Like, God, you'd be so annoyed, wouldn't you? Well, not a hundred days, a hundred miles away. Oh sorry, a hundred miles. Yeah. Well still, I mean it probably yeah. took him quite a while. I mean it doesn't wow. it doesn't seem like it was an escape attempt. It I, I don't and I he certainly didn't hate being there. I think it was just you know, he just, he just wandered. He wander. just, yeah, off he went. And they did. They brought him back to Thomas Fenn's farm and he didn't seem to um, have an issue with that at all. What okay. um, uh, Thomas Fenn then did, now this, this is where it sounds a little bit horrible, but it's done for the right reasons. They made him a collar, which sounds really reductive and does make him sound like an animal or a pet. But the reason was for his own safety. And it had inscribed on it, Peter, the wild man of Hanover, whoever will bring him to Mr. Fenn at Berkhamsted will be paid for their trouble. So it's for his own safety. Um, They didn't, as far as we're aware, they didn't, you know, force him to, you know, work and and, uh, be any kind of, be anything he didn't want to be. They were very, very fond of him and they wanted to make sure he was safe. So it sounds awful. And I suppose in a way, you know, it's not something we would do today, but it's the only way that they could do to, to, to keep him safe. Now, he dies. Amazingly, he lives until the age of approximately 73. We don't know exactly the age because, of course, we don't know how old he was when he was found. And we don't quite know, but it is said that the, his last carer, a farmer who was called Brill, um, died. And after he died, Peter just refused food and pined and, and died a few days later. Um, on the 22nd of February, 1785. We don't know if that's true or not. That's the story. Um, but, yeah, definitely um, was was part of the community. And he, so he's buried in um, St Mary's Church in North Church, which is near Berkhamsted in Hertfordshire. And this is how much the locals loved him. He didn't have family, or he well, had family somewhere, obviously, but he didn't have a family who took him on and, and necessarily he was theirs the locals clubbed together and bought a headstone for him so his headstone is still there and people still leave flowers for him today we don't know who they just there always seem to be flowers on his tomb but he was loved locally and he died well two 240 years ago and people still leave flowers on his tomb he's still a local celebrity um, his collar is preserved at Berkhamsted School as well. So his oh. collar, you can still see that um, there. But I mean, what a what a kind of lovely end to a pretty tragic life mm. for somebody who, you know, clearly the, the court wasn't the right place for him. Being on ceremony, it, it wasn't right. And of course, today... 
he would have been treated very, very differently. Um, mm. But I quite wow. like that he had those years on the farm, just doing his thing, watching the stars, enjoying the flames. Absolutely. But I guess yeah. if the royal family hadn't have kind of spotted him in the first place, I wonder if yeah. he would have lived to the age of 70 whilst in the wild. Possibly not. He might have just languished in that jail and or that house of correction because let's face it, they were never going to let him out because he wasn't able to be in quotes corrected because mm. um, they were never going to you know if, if they were never going to be able to teach him to 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 walk or to talk or uh, to walk upright they wouldn't have bothered trying to get him to do that whereas of course the court did so yeah so in, in a wow. way that that sort of subjugation of of courtly life was kind of his his saving grace in a way um, but you also wonder if he'd just stayed in the in the forest, what what would have become of him? I mean, he almost certainly wouldn't have lived to seventy five, seventy three. But no, although he might he might have you know really known the land and known what he needed to do to survive. But he just seemed like um, from how you describe, just this really soft, mm. innocent person. Um, I've you know I've I've looked at the painting going up the staircase in Kensington so many times and I've you know I've 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 known that Peter the wild boy is there but I haven't known who Peter was at all and yeah it's fascinating I can't yeah. wait to next go in there to be able to <laughs> to retell his story so yeah because it's the sort of story that is always I've always told it very quickly in that he was found living in the forest was brought here as a curio and 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 then I, I just sort of assumed he died young somewhere I never really thought to look into it um mm. But yeah, I mean, what? A, I mean, like you say, he just sounds gentle and lovely, and I love mm. this idea that I mean, he died in nineteen in seventeen eighty five. Nineteen eighty five. Wow, uh, in seventeen eighty five, and he ran away. Well, ran away. Like you know, ended up in Norwich in seventeen fifty one. So when he was returned, he's got like thirty five years of just tootling around on a farm and just, you know, enjoying watching the stars and all that. It kind of sounds kind of sounds lovely. The fact that it there aren't, and also you know, I think if if he had tried to run away, run away, there would be many more um, sort of stories about him turning up places and fighting mm. to get away. But there, there isn't. He, it's just this one, and he obviously just went tootling and just ended up where he ended up, kind of thing, and wasn't too worried about not going back because he kind of could fend for himself, I suppose. Wow. There we go. Thank you, Alex. Peter the Wild Boy. Peter the Wild Boy. And it's interesting because I think a lot of stories start off triumphant and end sad. And I think this one's kind of the other way around. It starts off sad and ends quite triumphant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. There we go. Wonderful. Podcast Pedestal. Well, do you know what you're going to go for? Oh. No. Oh, what am I going to go for? I... I think I'm going to go for him retiring to Hertfordshire because mm. I like that. Mm. That feels like the the right thing for him. In as right as it's ever going to get, you know. I feel like that's a really lovely thing for him to have happened to him. So yeah, I'm going to go for retiring to Hertfordshire. What about you? Nice. I think I'm going to go for the the missing note you know that the farmer had written yeah because i think that really shows this kind of real element of care and worry for this this man yeah so i yeah i think the um i think you might have the, it in the bag this week i think mine's a bit vague i think that's a good choice actually i don't know but yeah <laughs> um you know if found please please let us know for a reward as well. So I think. Do you mean um, on the collar, or do you mean the the one that he put in the newspaper? No, not on the collar. Uh, in the newspaper. Yeah. 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 It is nice to think that they cared enough to, rather than just go, oh, thank goodness he's off our hands. Oh no, it was on the collar, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't the collar, but they also did do the 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 address in the newspaper. Yeah. Um, so mine's the address in the newspaper. Yeah. So yeah, it's just because they could have just gone. Oh, there's a problem we don't have to worry about anymore. Yeah. And actually they didn't. They were like, no, we, we need to. 
yeah we need to make sure he's okay yeah yeah wow what a story so there we go there is the story of peter the wild boy there we go the wheel of destiny well next week what are we going to go for well um i'm going to spin the wheel you ready yeah go for it Soho. Oh, haven't been there for a while. No. Um, and something that I want to talk about, we've both kind of talked about the fact that we should do a pod on this at some stage. So oh. I am going to do the cholera epidemic in Soho. Jon Snow. John Snow. Winter is coming. <laughs> Winter is coming. Don't drink the water. Hashtag. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story. It's a good one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the epidemic epidemic of Soho. So, yeah, that's what we're doing next week. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, that is it for this week. Uh, thank you all so much for coming on along and listening. Um, we will be back next week with... Uh, the next episode and and um, probably a little bit more talk about what's gone on over the weekend with all the royal stuff happening so uh, yes. and we will also have uh, I'm sure some news on some biscuit related facts for you because we would have gone to the biscuit museum oh yes we will have won't we yeah gosh how exciting um, alright brilliant yes that's this weekend cool. so we'll see you next week everybody have a great one Enjoy. Take care. Bye.